Hello and welcome to Mind Your Own Retirement. It's a podcast from Your Life Choices website and e-newsletter. And on today's show, we're speaking money, but not our normal spin on money. We're speaking with the CEO of the uh, Standards and Ethics Authority. So that's going to be interesting, making sure some ethics in uh, money spending. Talking health with Dr. Jeanette Young from the University of South Australia, how pets can help us in our health. And also speaking with Kay Fallick, it just happens to be across from me, the publisher of Your Life Choices magazine, about respect for the elderly. So it's a very good That's me, chat. John. And you are... I'm wanting more respect, so well, I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to give you some respect. <laughs> but first up, let's uh, go to Stephen Glenfield. He is the CEO of FASIA, which is the Financial Advisor Standards and Ethics Authority. It sounds a very dry business to be in, Stephen, but it's a very important one, sir. Hello and welcome to Mind Your Own Retirement. Thank you, John. Pleased to be here. And hi, Kay, as well. And it is dry, but it is important. Hello, Stephen. We're delighted. We've finally got you on this program. And I guess the best starting point is for you to tell us why FASIA was established. So FASIA is established by Parliament through the Corporations Act. Uh, it came about from a number of inquiries that have been held over recent years into financial advice and financial services and and what needs to be done to, to give consumers more confidence about taking advice and to be getting better advice. And as part of that was a recognition that the, the standards in financial advice needed to be lifted more away from an industry into a profession. Uh, and as part of that, the, the Corporations Act has been amended to bring in a series of requirements for advisors that will, um, will lift their standards in terms of education, training, and importantly, ethical standards. Uh, as part of doing that, uh, the Parliament put in amendments to the Corporations Act to bring FASIA into play, but we're actually the regulator that sets the standards for advisors going forward. So that's a huge role, given the information that came out of the Financial Services Royal Commission recently. It is. It's a really important role, and I guess that's part of the reason why I I joined FASIA from my previous uh, place of work. Um, I think there's a real opportunity uh, given what we've heard, to actually stand back and, and look at a long-term picture over what does quality financial advice look like and, and what does a good financial advice profession look like. Stephen, what, what about those standards? How has it made it safer for retirees to use a financial planner? What I think it does for you, if you, if you look at today and you think about, I want to go and see a financial advisor, the, the question I always hear from people is, do you know a good one? Yes, yes, if, yes. yes. Who should I go and see? Because I actually don't know much about them or their background. Whereas once this uh, legislative change takes place and the transition period for existing advisors takes place, what you'll know is that each advisor, regardless of who they are, will have moved to having a bachelor level or higher degree or equivalent qualification. So at present, there's no specified minimum qualification as you would expect to see, say, in medicine, law, or accounting, or any of the other professions. There is no minimum here, but they will have in the future that minimum level of education before they come in. And they have to pass an, an exam that we set, which is a, a practical exam to show that they actually understand what they were doing. And then importantly, on top of that, they must comply with a legislative code of ethics, which governs their behaviour. 
and requires them to act and always put the client interest first. Okay. A friend of mine has uh, recently uh, separated and uh, she was asking about uh, where, if I know a good financial advisor, where she should put her money. And, mate, I was not going to say, I said, hey, I'm not going to get involved in this. You know, you need to go find someone of your own because you, you you feel so responsible in case they're dodgy or whatever. Yeah, and I think that's a very fair statement to make, and I think that's the position a lot of people find themselves in now. What you'll find once these um, changes have gone through is whilst you'll still be asking the question and there is always a trust element of is that a good advisor or not, at least you will have the confidence that there is a base level of education, there is a base level of training, there's a base level of understanding of ethics and a requirement to ongoing keep your standards up high that you would see in other professions. And so to an extent, it's a forward look at, at bringing advisors into a professional space for the future in dealing with clients. So that's understandable and obviously really important. Um, Stephen, I'm always the one who asks the unpopular questions, so here it comes. Um, we've heard for so long about putting the customer's interests first and it just doesn't seem to happen. Yeah, and I, I think that we've all seen examples in, in the recent inquiries of that taking place. The important thing today, as of 1st of January this year, is to see put into play a code of ethics for all advisors and it's a legal code and that code provides that one of the standards is the advisors must act in the best interest of the client. It also has standards around uh, not acting if the advisor is conflicted. So these are, I think, important steps forward in terms of it's now not a best endeavours thing. This is a legal requirement that you must behave in this fashion. So someone could be charged if they were found to not have done that because that, that is a difference, that is a point of difference. Correct. So that, that so um, ASIC and AFCA would both have powers over taking action for someone who doesn't comply with the Code of Ethics because the Code of Ethics is now part of the corporation's law. Okay, so things do appear to be moving in the right direction. So our point of view as a website, Stephen, is that people do need financial advice because the the investment for retirement is a super complex process. Is is that what you would say also? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's part of the drive of Fasir and part of the drive of why I joined Fasir. If you if you think about just even superannuation retirement monies now and you think about someone who's been in that system all the way through, how much, how big those balances are becoming over time and it's really important people get financial advice that they can trust going forward. Fear is not the full answer to everything what happens but it, it, provi- it provides, I think, the base start to give people the confidence that the people they're dealing with have at least got the required education, they've demonstrated their skill set through sitting an exam that we set and they're subject to ongoing ethical requirements, which to me is a positive move forward given how important it is that people get good advice. So there's a real lifting in standards. Is there any uh, website or support organisation, and I know we've seen quite a lot of organisations come and go over the years, but if people are worried about advice they are receiving, is there one place they can go? Um, for, for an individual consumer, if, you, if you're thinking your advisor 
not done the right thing, I'd suggest that AFCA is probably the first port of call for them. Which is? The, the Financial Complaints Authority. It's a government organisation, so it'll be www.afca, afca.gov.au. A, Alternatively, was that uh, a, a, F, F, F for Freddie? Yep. C, yep. A. C, A. Yeah. Right. Alternative, ASIC is another point of call that they could go through. Yep. ASIC. Mm. Or each, if they're in particular, the advisor that they're, they're using will be part of a licensee. Um, if you've got issues with an individual licence advisor, you can also go through the licensee. Has the legislation gone through, Stephen, as far as qualification minimums? It has. It's in place now. Um, so existing advisors have a transition period out to 2024 to reach that minimum education standard, and they have until the end of 2021 to pass the exam that the CIA is setting. Uh, there are already 10,000 either enrolled or already completed the exam. There's already over 7,500 completed the exam. And there are really strong numbers of advisors actually enrolling in education courses to lift their, lift their standards, which from a perceived viewpoint is really pleasing. That's and folks, great work. And don't be frightened to ask if you're going to a financial advisor if those qualifications have been met. You should certainly ask how they go. Fantastic. Uh, I've learned a lot and I appreciate you giving us that framework on behalf of our members. So thank you very much, Stephen. Terrific. Thank you for asking me along. Stephen Glenfield, the CEO of FASIA, which is the Financial Advisor Standards and Ethics Authority. More information on the Your Life Choices website. And we're coming back with health after this. There, I'd like to talk to you about Your Life Choices Pension Checker. Now, Pension Checker is an easy-to-use financial tool that allows you to calculate exactly how much you should be receiving in fortnightly pensions and supplements. And it's very well-priced at just $29.95 per year. To learn more, go to pensionchecker.com.au and make today the day you take control of your income with Your Life Choices Pension Checker. Well, we're heading over to South Australia and the University of South Australia, and Dr Janet Young is on the line right now. We're talking about pets and health. Uh, Janet, welcome to you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Do you have a dog? I've got two little dogs at present, yep, and two foster cats living in my bedroom. Oh, that's great. Are they helping you? Um, Yeah, they do. They do. There's always something to giggle at with um, particularly one of the dogs. She's a doofus. Well, I've got to say that uh, Kay used to bring in her beautiful dog into the office and it was the office dog. And, you know, it just changed the whole atmosphere. Oh, totally. And everybody relaxed. Mm. And uh, it's funny how when you go to European countries, you see dogs in the the cafeterias and in in the restaurants restaurants, like in France. And uh, Mm. we have a different Mm. relationship in Australia, don't we? But I'm getting a bit off message. (laughs) You've recently conducted a study, Janet, and um, you've come up with some findings about pets and older people. So would you share with us what you learned? So what we did is we we just just asked older people how their pets impact on their health. So really open, um, qualitative research with the idea being that older people actually identify how the how pets are working for them 
And so we weren't really anticipating having quite a sizable proportion talking about pets in relation to significant distress and most significantly in relation to um, thoughts and, and practices even of taking their own life. So that was a bit of a shock, really. But once once you realise it, it's like it's kind of a no-brainer, really. Are you saying because somebody is responsible for the well-being of another creature, that means they have a, a reason to stay alive? That's part of it. Yeah, certainly that pragmatic stuff was part of it. But it's got layers to it as well, we found. So there's this process where... Animals certainly give people functional roles, so it's a reason to get up in the morning, you know, feeding the cat. It may also be the reason to get out and about and touching base with other people um, as well, and that's probably particularly dogs. Um, But even for all animals, like somehow you've got to get them food and so on, so there's some point of connection with people that, that seems functional. They do have a lot of uh, care, care dogs, of course, going into uh, elderly sits areas uh, where some of our more senior citizens might not be able to get out and they, they bring dogs in mm. as comfort. Yep, and that's nice. But it's more than that that was operating in this protective space because these are about relationships and these are about relationships with individual animals. And so the other bits to the, the function were things people talked about a sense of being known by another animal and so even where it was birds, for example, um, one guy was talking about how he would go out the back to, he's got a lot of aviaries, and when he would yell out, the birds would respond to him specifically. They knew him. There was this sense of knowingness. The other thing is about presence. So animals can be present when life's really dark, you know, like in the middle of the night when, you know, all those dreadful thoughts are coming to people and they can't sleep. You know, like there's no other people around or, you know, they're not going to be all that happy if you wake them at 2 a.m. because you're depressed again, etc. But the dog's there. So while people feel that they're suffering, animals can be present in a way that human beings can't or well, not in a way. So it's not that's sort of making it sound like human beings should be there instead, but it's different. It's a qualitatively different relationship and it is relationship. So within that, people develop this sense of... Um, thankfulness and reciprocity with the animal. So on one hand, the animal gives back to them and then they give to the animal and then the animal gives back. You know, that circular sort of stuff. It sounds like the circle of love. I think the other part of the relationship might also be the total lack of judgment <laughs> that you, so true. you get from from your pet, from my dog. Nobody loves yep. me like my dog loves me. And, I, and, and as they say, I want to be the person my dog thinks I am. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, they, um, they're simpler relationships. I mean, dogs don't hold, dogs, any animals, by and large, they don't hold grudges. They, I mean, I'm, like, they don't notice that you're getting older, that you look really stupid this morning or you've got your clothes all in a knot. And, um, yeah, they're really what. What seems to what the research more broadly talking about pets and people talks about the nature of these different relationships. So they're they're qualitatively different relationships. They're simpler. They're kind of kinder and gentler. People can feel redeemed by them at times. Like I might be a bad whatever, but my dog loves me. My budgie loves me. You know. 
a fish don't notice that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's really powerful. I think there's a sense of hope in that um, redemption. You know, it's we've all got a past. We've all done bad things, stupid things, but through the love... Um, there's someone who who cares deeply about us. It's unconditional, really, isn't it? And, and that, that that hormone oxy what's oxytocin. it called oxytocin, oxytocin. that uh, one exudes. Yeah. And and I'm sure when you look into your dog's eyes or your cat's eyes or um, fish might be a bit hard, but uh, <laughs> certainly you you get that connection. You get that connection. Yeah. So Jeanette. Could we ask you to help us share with our members? So we have people aged 55 to 75 plus. Yep. But for the younger members with older parents, would you suggest they actively encourage mum or dad to get a pet? Not necessarily. I think the things that make a difference are whether or not someone's lived with pets all their life or certainly at points in their life. Um, I think you need to take into account that not everybody likes pets. They can be um, they can be a hassle. Um, you, you know, you can't go away. You can't just sort of drop things and go away overnight or for three or four nights when you might want to, that sort of thing. So I think you need to have – I think it's, in, it's useful to have the discussion, particularly if someone is, is sort of down and feeling lonely. It's useful to have the discussion. But I think one of the risks actually from this research is that – it would be oversimplified and and there would be this sense of, oh, you know, someone's depressed, we'll just give them a dog kind of thing, yep. that'll work. Like it's not. And that puts both people and animals at risk. So we need we, we need to be really careful in this space that we're thinking about um, across species and the welfare of both and that we're recognising that it's not, it's not simple, fluffy, frivolous kind of stuff. It's it's relationship. And I often give the example because when I go and talk to aged care providers, sometimes they'll say, oh, we've got a dog here or we've got birds here. And I say, that's a bit like going to Mrs. Brown who's just lost Mr. Brown. Don't mind. Never mind. We've got men here. You'll be fine. Like, we wouldn't do that. Like, we, we know that that's not recognising the nature of relationships but we do it around animals. So we do need to be really careful. I think if we're talking with, um, say, aged parents, and maybe that parent has had animals in the past, and, and from what you know, they've, they've seemed to be beneficial and it's been something they've enjoyed. Some of the other work we're doing is looking at what might fit between pets and no pets. So are they interested in having some animal contact? They're missing not having a dog around. What might be something that sits in between petness, we're calling it, sort of in the petness space? I mean, I know what my mum's been doing is she's become the um, the family dog sitter. Uh-huh. And so she's always got, you know, she's often got pets there, including my own. But she doesn't have to worry about the vet bills. She doesn't have to worry about the feeding bills. She lo- basically, she gets her um, puppy fixed for however long it is she has them and then they come home to us. So, yeah, thinking about what sits in between and some of the things that you can see in the research more broadly is, you know, for example, the tourism type literature where people, you know, the sense of peace that people get from seeing wild animals, for example, mm. Mm. Um, so or feeding birds in a park, that kind of thing. a lot of different ways in to yep. what you're suggesting is a great relationship solution mm. and we need mm. to think more broadly on that point. 
Dr. Janet Young, th th thank you so much for giving up your time today. We, we do appreciate it, and uh, that's a wonderful survey you've done, and more power to you. Thank you. Dr. Janet Young from the University of South Australia, Pets and Wellbeing on Mind Your Own Retirement. If you have any comments you'd like to make, then on the Your Life Choices website, uh, you'll find a, a place to do that. And we always encourage you to do it uh, with your thoughts on Mind Your Own Retirement, which is the podcast of Your Life Choices with me, John Deeks and Kay Fannick. Hey, John, I've got a topic. Oh, what is that? I would like to talk about older people and respect. Oh, there's a broad subject. It's a big one. Now, as you'll recall, we spoke to Dr Marlene Krasovitsky from Every Age Counts maybe about four or five weeks ago. Uh-huh. And Marlene heads up uh, this organisation which is fighting age discrimination at any age. Mm. So you might be young and people might dismiss you as a silly millennial. Right. You, well, you no. don't know anything. No, don't, don't do that. Don't say young people just spend all their money, they're irresponsible. Because that's not correct, you know. So it's respect at any age. But... Top of head, because we are still um, seeing the coronavirus play out, is older people and their rights. So we have supermarkets who've created the first hour or so for shopping for older people when the shelves are theoretically stacked. Or, and they don't have to fight others. Yeah. So that's respectful. Mm. That's respectful. Fantastic. But then we've got suggestions coming out of Europe that older people are being deprioritised when it comes to intensive care because they're higher risk, more likely to die. Therefore, leave the bed for the younger person. Mm, this uh, has the all the hallmarks of uh, of a science fiction movie, doesn't it? It's, Coming to pass. It's scary because what value do we place on a human life? Why do you, do you have research to back this up as far as what uh, some of these thoughts are occurring in in the UK? Well, it's there's Europe? there's a lot of reporting of. Uh, what different countries are doing. Wow. Now, I certainly saw that reported about the health system in Italy. Whether it's correct or not, I can't verify. But that led me to a report that someone put up on social media and it was some uh, young female in the UK... Let me have a look at this. Uh, Kate, this is it. Katie Hopkins, who the hell's Katie Hopkins? She's a journalist. Katie Hopson, Hopkins proposes euthanasia vans as UK has far too many old people. Sun, is this, she's a Sun columnist? Look, she is, and that report is old, but because of the situation now, it's circulating again. Because her point of view was, well, what can you do about so many old people? Uh, we've got to look after the younger generations. And it just seems in a time of crisis, it's, it makes no sense whatsoever to slam another age group. Mm. I, I just get so incensed when I think this is not helpful. 
This We all love our older parents or our grandparents. We all love our children and our grandchildren. Why would we cherry-pick one generation yeah. and remove their privileges? Yeah. What's going on? And, uh, well, that, that's a remarkable story. Uh, what worries me, of course, is in the, U- in the US where... Uh, health is so expensive, health care is so expensive, where uh, some of the v- most vulnerable can't mm. afford it. Mm. And we also know, let's speak about younger people now, that when people are working in the gig economy, when they live paycheck to paycheck, mm. and let's say the restaurant is closing... What was it, the gig economy? The gig economy, what, what, meaning... That? You are a casual worker at best. So you could be an Uber driver, to mention a brand. So when Uber's on, you'll get work. But if Uber's not on, you're dispensable. You're not getting any money. You're dispensable. You don't have rights. Mm. You haven't got leave. You haven't got a lot of the typical old-style rights in place. So thinking more broadly about what age discrimination is, it really has an effect on employment, health care, aged care, housing and digital inclusion. So when we're going through a time when we have a health crisis, to put it bluntly, I think it's time to take a chill pill Mm. And step back and think, how would I feel if I was 85, maybe fragile, maybe lonely, heading down to the local shops? I think it would be nice if someone gave me a seat on the train or the tram, someone offered to carry my bag. Maybe my next-door neighbour would check to see how I am. As we uh, once did. It was very much a neighbourhood, but now we tend to be very uh, isolated. Well, people are saying some good will come out of this health crisis and maybe we will learn to think about each other a little bit more. Okay, as you know, um, this sort of a situation brings out the best in people and brings out the worst. Mm, Let's work on the best. Absolutely. Let's go for the best. And on that very positive, upbeat note, we'll say thank you so much indeed for joining us on this episode of Mind Your Own Retirement. Kay, we'll see you next time. Thank you, John. And if you'd like to check out Your Life Choices website with the e-newsletters, go to yourlifechoices.com.au. If your friends haven't, they should. It's absolutely free. There's a wealth of information. And thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time for another instalment of Mind Your Own Retirement. Retirement.